Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. When our brain is in confusion and fear, we're not actually accessing all of our creativity. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Kila. Today, I'm interviewing Sonia Perez-Lauterbach. Sonia is a leadership coach for motivated change agents who in this episode is finding herself exploring the impact of perfectionism on data management in nonprofit fundraising. I wanted to invite Sonia to have this conversation with me because of how I've seen her talk about perfectionism in other spaces. Initially intrigued by the challenge of embracing imperfection herself, Sonia discovered how this mindset affects not only the way leaders approach their work, but also their ability to connect with others and drive their organization's mission forward. Drawing from her own experiences as a high-achieving student, she recognized the strong desire to get it right and the paralyzing effects it can have on growth and progress. Sonia understands the unique challenges that nonprofit fundraisers face when it comes to perfectionism and data management, and she has made it her mission to empower leaders to lead from a place of authenticity. And in this episode, Sonia talks us through the mental, emotional, and embodied responses that influence how we approach different elements of our leadership, including data management. This is such an interesting and uncommon type of conversation to include in a clean data series, which is exactly why we're having it. Because what if our perfectionism is actually the primary barrier to getting and utilizing the data we need? I can't wait to dive in, so let's just go meet Sonia. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Sonia Perez-Lauterbach. Sonia, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a big fan of the podcast and I've learned so much and it's actually impacted my coaching approach. So I'm just honored to be here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. And I feel like there's so much alignment between our work and we talk about so many similar concepts and we get tagged in posts all the time. Like this is what Sonia and Mallory talk about. So I'm really excited for us to venture into this conversation. Why don't you start just giving everyone a little bit of background about you and your work and what brings you to this conversation? Yeah. My name's Sonia Perez and I am a leadership coach for the Motivated Change Agent. I want to help leaders feel empowered to lead from authenticity. And really, through our coaching, we address the mental, emotional, and embodied responses that impact how we feel and ultimately impact how we show up and lead our teams and our vision and our life, really. 
I love that. And so today we're particularly focusing on perfectionism, something that often gets in the way of us becoming the leaders that we want to be. I know I call myself a recovering perfectionist, and I know it's something that so many of the people who are listening to this deal with. And we're talking about it in relationship to something in particular that comes up a lot in nonprofit fundraising, which is data and data management. And data is such a powerful tool for everything, really. It's such a powerful tool, though, for fundraisers. And yet it is a scary tool to use because it's like all this information that we don't totally understand how it was collected. We don't totally understand how it was first organized, where it's come from, all this unknown. And some of us might just be given when we come into our roles, a number of different Excel spreadsheets. And it's like, here are your donors and here's some spotty information about them. Others come in and they inherit a CRM system, a contact management system, they inherit like a database, but there's still just these years of unknown that have led into the data that now they're expected to use in their fundraising. And then in our sector, there's this large conversation around data hygiene and cleaning your data. And, and so I feel like fundraisers are stuck a little bit in this place with their data where there's so much uncertainty about what has been. There's so much uncertainty about the definitions of what they should have, like what does clean data look like? What is data hygiene? What is good enough? And so they get paralyzed around their data in this perfectionist box. And so I'm curious, like even just sort of hearing the context of that, what first comes up for you? What comes up for me is the idea of wanting to get it right. We care deeply about our work. And we're wanting to do right by the organization and we want to bring our best skill set. And we have a culture, even from our young education, that is to get the right answer. You get A's, you like study, and you have the right answer. And it's not about this exploratory, evolving, iterating, trying, evaluation kind of approach. Like since we were little, it was about getting the right answer. And so our brain is like, I know if I get the right answer, then I get an A and then I get a pat on the back. But how do I move forward when there's not actually a right answer? And so we don't have that brain mental pathways of like, let's iterate, let's try. And it's safe to try because it isn't even safe to try. And also speaking of our framework for how we learned in childhood and through our education system is don't ask for help because that's cheating. (laughs) So In our mind, it's like, I can't ask for help. I'm supposed to figure this out and get the right answer. So when you acknowledge that, you're like, it makes sense that I'm scared to ask for help because... I was always told that's cheating, (laughs) especially if you were like high achieving, good in school or just worked really hard in school. Then that's not like collaboration and saying, I don't know the answer wasn't always safe for us. That's the first thing that comes to mind, just acknowledging like this is our pathway of how we learn or how we've been taught to learn and operate in getting the A. I'm so curious about what you just said around, we feel like we're cheating. That's really interesting. I think I've always made the assumption that a lot of that came from like, I should know the answer. And if I reveal that I don't know the answer to this, then maybe there's going to be almost as if there's this finite amount of information that you could have about fundraising and either have it or you don't. Whereas like, there's all these situational experiences where of course, getting someone else's input or advice or 
hearing their experience in those areas would benefit you greatly. But I think that probably goes back to what you were saying before around like the way we've been raised, our educational system is very binary, very right or wrong. And through those routines, then we always want to get it right. And we feel like there's one right. Yeah. And it's hard when you also, then you go and consume a lot of podcasts. And I mean, I'm in favor of people listening to this podcast, <laughs> but <laughs> on data, right? Like there's not always the same terminology. And then like, there's so much that we don't know. And like the internet can connect you with so much, but how do you move forward? It becomes paralyzing, right? Similar to perfectionism. It's like, well, I need to have the answer first. And the answer probably is out there. So I better go look for the answer before I take action. So if you're working with a client around something where there is no answer, like there is no universal answer. So there is no universal answer for like clean enough data. That's a totally subjective definition. And it really depends on the organization, what type of data we're talking about, like all these different things. And so when you're coaching folks around something where like there is no right answer or there are lots of different pathways forward and they're just trying to say like this is good enough and they want to move forward, what are some strategies you use with them to help them define that for themselves and be able to get out of that paralysis? Yeah. I mean, I do often ask them like, what is enough? Because even just bringing that awareness, so like there isn't a definition or maybe it's, you know, I know that I need to do this cleaning process and I'm not quite sure how to do it or really becoming specific about what it is that you're after in your data. Because if you're not sure and don't have that defined, then you stay in that overwhelm or stay in that like, I'm not sure if it's good enough rather than like in order for me to take the next step, in order for me to do this mailing. I need to do this thing and this thing rather than just being like, our data is messy. <laughs> like I need to make sure that there's an address associated with every person. That's one step. Okay. Like is that perfect data? Probably not, but it starts moving. Right. So if we can define, bring awareness to what it is that we're actually needing to do in this moment. So, okay. So you bring up something that I think is so interesting because I love that you said, let's start with what are you actually looking for here? What's the point of why we're doing this in the first place? What's the point of needing this data and then working back from there? But what if what they want, like they might say one thing to you, like I want to have enough information to go into a funder meeting, but what they really want deep down that like enough information to go into a funder meeting is I want to feel confident walking into that funder meeting. And there is likely no amount of data alone that would actually build their confidence, right? They're waiting for like a concrete activity or they're trying to create a concrete strategy that will overcompensate for an emotional or a psychological block that they're dealing with. Because perfectionism does not live in their data. It lives in how they relate to their data. And so we can clean our data every day, 12 hours a day, and that will not solve imposter syndrome, perfectionism, all those things. So what comes up for you when I say that? Absolutely. Like the way that we interact as leaders in conversations, in meetings, in our tasks and our to-do is impacted by the thoughts that we're thinking about them. And our thoughts impact how we're feeling. So if I think this is going to be a difficult conversation, or if I'm thinking 
they might not say yes, or I'm confused about what the situation is, then we're going to feel that in our body. And then our body's going to continue to send us signals of that energy of confusion and fear. When our brain is in confusion and fear, we're not actually accessing all of our creativity. So we're coming in in this like task, like this donor meeting becomes like a lion on my neck, right? And then it's hard to be patient and to be fully present, which is what builds trust and connection and the conduit for meaning, like for vision and inspiration to connect. Like when you're calm and you go into a donor meeting, you know the impact of the work that you're doing and just the joy that your programs is creating in the world, then you get to actually offer them joy and that power. Like I see nonprofits as creators of the things that we need in this world, the energy of hope and go back to your mission. And that's what you get to offer in these donor meetings. Like you aren't coming in asking for something. You actually are bringing joy and hope and all these good things that your organization does and the reciprocity in that relationship is of course someone wants to be a part of it. So like maybe you messed up your name or maybe you sent the thing to the wrong address or whatever, but like if you can be rooted in what your organization brings, people give because they're passionate about the project, not necessarily because you have the fanciest Instagram or the fanciest brochures. It's like, it's the people that are choosing to be conduits for that mission. And when you're like, oh, that's enough, then have more capacity. That's what I work with my clients. When I'm enough, I have more capacity to actually like tackle cleaning up data or writing the things that I need to write. But when I'm in fear mode, it's much harder to access that creativity and energy that you're wanting to actually put into your work. Okay. I love what you're talking about because essentially what you're saying is like one of the pathways to clean enough data. You know, I hear Tim Lockie in my ear being like, actually Mallory, they need to do small data cleaning, but there's like this duality here, but it's not either or it's both. It's like, there are ways to think about data management and cleaning your data that will help you feel more confident using certain types of data for certain types of things. And the pathway to that use of the data, the cleaning of the data, all of those things, and then ultimately the purpose of having that data, which is connecting with your donors more deeply, starts with this or includes this other piece that is so often not considered, which is what is happening inside of you. Mm -hmm. And when we take that approach to understanding what's happening in us, like we were talking about data here, understanding what are my thoughts about data? Like do a download. It's tricky. It's complicated. Or like it is the conduit to connecting with more people. Like how can you shift your thinking about the data? You know, we have our mindsets and we have our beliefs about different things because of our variety of different experiences. And so when we can just bring awareness of like, oh, I have a hard time with data because I felt burned in this way or it feels confusing to me. And when you can shift, they like, actually, we're utilizing this because it's going to actually save me time. Like frame it in a way of like, why are we using it? You know, if you can understand that and get behind it, it's going to amplify the work that I do. Then you can get excited about it. Like, it's kind of crazy that how we're thinking about it, even tasks that feel hard can become more easy. Like you don't have to love writing your donor notes and putting it in. But if you can frame it within the bigger picture, 
this is going to make it easier for my next meeting. <laughs> then, then it's like less hurdles to jump versus all of the negative energy that you might have brought into thinking about this task in the first place. I've said this on a number of different episodes, but nobody wants to do a task that we are mean to ourselves about the entire way through, right? Like nobody wants to do that. And I really had this realization a few years ago, both in terms of like exercise, like I was thinking about the types of exercise I like doing versus the types of exercise I didn't like doing. And I, I used to do a lot of lifting and then I really struggled to get back into it after I had Emmy. And I couldn't really understand why at first I was like, this used to bring me so much joy. I used to have so much fun with it. Like, what is it that is, I'm feeling so much resistance around it. And when I finally really explored that, I was like, oh, it's because I am so mean to myself. Like, look at how much muscle mass you lost during pregnancy. Like, you're never going to get back to where you were before. Like, why is this so hard? This should be easy for you. And so, of course, I didn't want to lift weights. Like, who wants to hear that the whole time they do anything? And then the types of exercise that I was enjoying at that point were things I had no self-talk around really. And maybe I sometimes had a positive self-talk, but really it was like, I was thinking about other things and just sort of doing the thing. And so I just think your point is so important, which is like both how we think about it before we go into it, but also how we're thinking about it while we're doing it. And what we're sort of saying to ourselves while we're doing whatever that task is, is just so important. And often I think really underestimated. Absolutely. I think that awareness is our superpower. And I was sharing a little bit before we got on about my coaching model. It's called the Leadership Atlas. And within that, I have a change guidepost, which is C-H-A-N-G-E. And C being for connection. Like change happens when we're connected. And so when I think about cleaning your data and, and being connected human to human on your process with this, like maybe you need to connect up with someone else that's working through this. And this is why I love your program because it is through those connections that we are inspired to continue to go and to change. And maybe they help you think through your thoughts on the issue at hand. The next thing is holistic. Uh, H is for holistic because we are not just the task. Like our job is not just the task. We bring our whole self, the way that we think about it and the way that we feel. And that self-talk. A is for awareness. So once we can say like, oh, this feels hard because I've never learned how to do this. This is another thing where we tend to think we should know how to do something because we're adults. This kind of like narrative around like once you're an adult, you should know how to, I don't know why, where I got that. Like in, when you're a kid or when you're a student in grad school or whatever, you're learning and then like you go and do your job. And so there's like this different mindset, but the reality is life, we're always learning. And that can help us break out of that perfectionism of like, of course, I don't know how to do this. It feels scary. And I'm just going to, it's going to get easier too. I tell my clients like, do you remember when you first learned how to tie a shoe? Like it felt weird in your fingers and you had to like do the little loops and you had to be careful not to pull too tight, you know, like now it's a no brainer, but because the muscle memory and the practice has been there, but it was hard the first time. And so just remembering that even as adults, when we do something, when you pull a query, like maybe it's not perfect. And that's okay because the first time you pulled one, but like, yay, you did it, right? Like our parents weren't like, I can't believe you didn't tie that shoe right the first time. (laughs) But we do that to ourselves, right? It should have been perfect. I should have put it in correctly. And I didn't because I've only done it a couple of times and 
that's okay. But we can give ourselves the compassion in the learning process in all of the areas of our work, then it's just more fun. Can I ask you a question about that? I think that's so interesting. And it's something I've talked about a little bit before, like how we differentiate between the things we think we should know versus the things we don't know. Like there's some things where I feel like I don't know why we think it that like we should just know it. But I sort of joke to people like you would never expect yourself to like walk up to a 200 pound weight and just like be able to pick it up immediately unless you had done a certain amount of training or worked your way up to that. But there are tons of other things where you're like, I should know how to do this. And we just like have adopted that assumption. Have you noticed any patterns there? Like, is it just about the stuff that's like in our brain versus our body where we have this disconnect where we should know this, or we should be able to do this where we can't see our progression to that point in the same way? I think there's an element of so focusing on our head knowledge or cognition. So like if you read a book, then you should know it, right? Like if you put it in there, then you should know it. And there is a disconnect when we haven't embodied it or we haven't practiced it. So you can read about racism and you can read about other things, but like that doesn't mean that your body is going to feel confident or that you're going to know how to call that out when you see that, like my somatics coach says. So if you've read an article, if you read the directions on how to do this, you should know it. But we don't have that same culture of practice. I'm like, it's okay for it to not be perfect the first time just because you feel like you have it in your head. Just because you know better, you, the reality is we don't always do better. But it's that practice of when you feel better and you understand it in your body, then it's going to be easier. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's like this like invisible element. And honestly, to a certain extent, data sort of creates that too. Or maybe data feels like something that we feel like we should be able to see. Like I was thinking another thing we would never expect ourselves to do is like run a marathon without training, right? We'd never like not be able to run a marathon and be like, I should have known how to do that. Like that just would never happen in our brains. And I feel like maybe data and even data hygiene or cleaning up data feels like this thing like we should be able to see our progress on. But unless we're really like tracking the habits and keeping accountability, like the feeling of is our data getting cleaner is happening in our body. But we don't always see it as transparently, or like the resistance to it getting cleaner, like it still feels very uncertain, right? The uncertainty stays just as big, even if the uncertainty is like a mile long, or 40 miles long, it's still uncertainty. And so it's like, they don't feel like they're getting closer to the goal, even if they are only a mile away versus they started like 26 miles away. It's like intangible, right? Like they're trying to get yeah. something that is not fully defined. Are there things you do with your clients that help them see their progress? I mean, you talked about awareness and that being sort of one of the core pillars of your work. And I'm curious, like, what are some strategies folks can use to tracking their progress that might be more invisible? Yeah. So one of the big things is I do weekly coaching. And so, I mean, that's one of the values of coaching is that your coach can say like, wow, like you responded to that situation so differently than when we were first meeting. Because you don't necessarily see like, oh, I created a pause instead of reacting. Or I realized before I reacted. And being able to celebrate those moments when you're trying to create internal change. 
And I say celebration is a big piece of like what I help people coach on and incorporate into their life to identify when you want to celebrate and celebrating those intangibles of the way that you felt around something. And what I encourage people to do, journaling and meditation, like these are things where you're like, why am I spending time doing this if you don't have a practice of that? And then after a few weeks, like you do start to feel that change and that shift. This goes back to that first sea of connection. It's like being in community to say like for your friends or that learning community, maybe as you described, to say like, oh, I'm doing it differently. Or for them to say, wow, I see a to just mark that together to say like, okay, here's our progress on this like intangible thing. You know, there will always be more things that we want to improve on. When you're a motivated change agent, there are always things to go after, you know, improvements and such. And so in order for us to have sustainable energy in this work, we have to have a practice of nurturing ourselves and actually celebrating. I love that. That's an area where I... The like reflection piece and the journaling, like I really need to find more sustainable habit around that because I think, but I am always coached, you know, I always have a coach and I'm always being coached. And I do think for me, that is a big check-in piece because we can grow our self-awareness, but it is really helpful to have growth reflected back onto us as well. So I really agree with that. What do you think like So, you know, I jokingly call myself a recovering perfectionist, and I don't know that there's anyone who, I'm sure there are people who don't have any of those pangs of not good enoughness in their life sometimes, you know, each time they, they sort of level up. And that's something I've been thinking about with data too, is like, they might address one area of their data and sort of build their confidence around it and clean up the data in that system. But if their organization is growing, the complexity of their data is also going to grow. And it feels like that little alligator head game at the arcade, you know, it's like you hit one alligator head and then the next alligator head comes out. And I feel that way with perfectionism, right? That like, okay, there are certain things that I used to have narratives come up around that I've really worked through and I don't hear those narratives anymore. Then there are other things where like, oh, there you are. Like, how do you help folks think about I don't know, even that level of compassion or grace with themselves, because I can imagine if you go into work around this as a perfectionist, you're also looking for like this checkbox endpoint. And I think part of the evolution is that once you work through your perfectionism, you start to realize like that's not a thing for most things in life. The end point, Um, the final, you did it. You're done self-development. You're done. Yeah. Done data. Yes. Yes. I did it. I'm fully developed. I'm fully grown. And I noticed this in my coaching. So maybe I'll sort of say this first before putting you on the spot. Like I noticed like in my coaching, I don't require people, the contracts I do are usually like three months because what I actually want them to do is after those three months, go back and try to integrate everything we worked through without me. And then I know that they're going to hit their next alligator head at some point. And that point might be in a year. That point might be in six months and they will have a certain number of tools to deal with that. But then our capacity needs to grow again. And I'm just curious, like how you think about that and how you work through that with your clients. 
first tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. What comes to mind is that idea of like that perfectionism or that drive to do things better when that's there, not shaming it and being able to say, oh, you help push me forward. Like realize the benefit that it has provided in your life. Like, wow, you helped me show up really well in certain and you don't have to shame it. It can go along for the ride and you can keep moving forward. You can be here, this fear and this desire to keep getting better. And yet it doesn't have to be the driving force here. And that little alligator head, or I say like that, right outside of my comfort zone, we're growing and we're doing something new and maybe we're implementing another system. (laughs) I know that I have the emotional capacity to be uncomfortable because it's not going to destroy me. It's actually leveling up my capacity. And when you realize that, you're like, man, this is a little uncomfortable and this is scary and I want it to be perfect and that's okay. And I'm going to move forward with action and it's uncomfortable, but I'm safe. I'm here (laughs) and I can be rooted in the joy that is available to me in my life and the good things, you know, I'm going to take a break when I need it. I'm going to drink water (laughs) and still take care of myself. Even when you're outside of your comfort zone, increasing your capacity in the back of your mind, you know, like. I'm leveling up here and I'm enjoying this intensity is totally different when perfectionism drives and that all of those negative, icky personal thoughts that are like, you should, and you better and all of that stuff. Like, but when you can stand in that space and be like, okay, I'm leveling up. It's a little scary. I don't know what I'm doing. We're going to do this. And a month from now, it's going to be easier. And then I'll probably level up again. And that's where we grow our capacity to start meeting our expectations and getting clarity. I think we started at the beginning of like, what is enough? Like, what is the expectation? I'm like, maybe our capacity is down here. But when we acknowledge there's a gap here, then we can bring in some growth strategies rather than burnout. If you're not aware of that gap between our expectations and our capacity, that's where all like the negative self-talk and all the pain and the like, I don't know what to do. I'm underwater. And the burnout happens between our expectations and our capacity. But if you can reframe that gap and say like, okay, let's do this. Let's learn. Let's try some messy queries. Let's see how bad it looks. (laughs) And that's okay if it's messy, but I'm going to level up our capacity. We're going to train our people in how to look at it. We're going to do some trainings and we're going to have like a community inside of our team. Maybe we all go to webinar (laughs) or go into training. We're going to talk about it. We're going to keep growing our capacity together. So as a team, we can better understand this. That's the connection and the habits. And then Tim Lockie's coming into my brain too. It's community learning. <laughs> okay, this is bringing up a really interesting piece, which is around teams and perfectionism and leadership. I think there is trickle-down perfectionism. And I think one of the things we see a lot in teams is that 
we'll have these conversations about perfectionism and we'll tell leaders like perfectionism is going to kill connection. It's going to kill collaboration, all these different things. And so they tell their team, embrace failure. It doesn't need to be perfect, but then they still hold themselves to perfectionist expectations. They still talk to themselves in that way. And so they're teams still really get the impression that like, oh, no, things need to be perfect. I'm curious, like, how do you work with leaders on that modeling piece around really understanding that like, the way in which they move through these challenges personally are going to also impact or don't are going to impact the rest of their team? I mean, I think that's the crux of why I do coaching is because the leader's health on an internal level impacts the whole organization and the way that we talk about ourselves as leaders and the expectations we hold for ourselves impacts how we show up with our people. And it is a healing process. I mean, we have years of operating with perfectionism that our worth is connected to what we produce. And it gets deep where you're like, we want to be connected. We want to be accepted. And if we were accepted based on how good we were as a student or different things that we, in ed, like as children, decided, oh, well, I was perfect in this way and that gave me love. And I have to keep performing at that level in order to be accepted. I got this job because I have the perfect grades or I got this, you know, like we continue to evaluate ourselves based on production. And I think that like within this capitalist society that like our value is connected to our production. And so we think if I don't produce well enough, then I am not worthy enough. And so it's like, it's that deeper stuff that it's like, is that narrative still true for me as a leader? Do I want to live out of that energy? And I think our mind wants to say like, don't give up your perfectionism because then you'll be lazy and lazy is evil. (laughs) So we've got this other narrative, like these deeper narratives that maybe people that are listening, like that might not be their narrative, but like if when you bring awareness to those narratives that are driving you, then you can say, oh, Actually, like when I rest, I'm not being lazy. I'm energizing myself to do good work. When I take time to not produce, 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 like if an email doesn't go out the same day, then I can be taking care of myself by connecting with my family. Then I can do better work rather than this drive of I have to have this everything perfect. And then maybe like once you have a little bit more grounding, you go for a walk, you breathe, exercise. You'd be like, well, what is perfect anyway? What am I striving for? Okay, I want a healthy organization. I want to raise money so we can support children in this way or that way. Like, what does perfection in my role look like? Because usually the expectation, we can't even define it, right? Like that every single person I talk to gives us money or like that everybody is happy with me, that there's no negativity or like there's no negative emotion around me. Like, I don't know if that's possible, but like, let's bring that awareness back. Like, What are the deeper levels and the narratives that are driving us? That's deeper healing work of how do I view myself? What's my identity in relationship to my work? And when I can say, oh, actually, I'm a founder of this organization, but this organization isn't me. And then that's even identity work of like, okay, so things can look different than maybe I expected or 
And when you start to do that deeper work and being okay with yourself and being filled with joy for the present moment, that's when we can access that energy that can be infused through the whole organization. Yeah, I think that's great. I think the thing I keep coming back to that you're saying underneath all of this that I say a lot too is like the answer that we're looking for, like when we're banging our head to solve a problem in our head, oftentimes the problem doesn't live there. Like sometimes it doesn't live in our head at all. Sometimes it lives in our body. And sometimes it just doesn't live in that part of our head. Like you need to like step away from the database. <laughs> yes. You know? and here's- and, and- I was going to say, and here when you were saying the problem doesn't, isn't in our head, sometimes I ask like, what if this isn't a problem? How would we approach it? Like when we're looking for that specific right answer and actually when we can step back and be like, maybe this isn't a problem. And our brain's like, no, I'm a problem solver. I can fix if I can just figure out the problem. Right. But like, it's a, maybe a reframing of the whole moment and like, let's change the energy here, both in our mind and in our body accessing different brainwaves and different ways of thinking about it. I've taken some courses with the Mindsight Institute with Dr. Dan Segal, and she talks about the will of awareness and this hub being this place of possibility, which is kind of like meditation piece and like a little bit of quantum mechanics. But it's like, if we can step back from driving to get at the problem, then new things emerge, like new ideas. And a lot of scientists will talk about like spending more time not so focused on the answer, but figuring out what is the problem. So maybe the question of like, what if it's not a problem kind of just like takes it and turns it around a little. Maybe this is an opportunity and you stop all of the fear, all of the like typical ways of solving problems. Like that's where your brain wants to go down the pathways. But then maybe you can find different pathways that are actually more creative or more elegant and simple when we aren't going through our typical neuro pathways of how we've problem solved in the past. Right. We tend to make things really complex. And I mean, I think that goes back to the clarity piece coming from all this other personal work that we do. And then oftentimes we find clarity where we don't expect it because we've opened up access to another part of our brain, another part of our body, another part of our energy. And it's like, oh, you know, I think that's the thing that people don't really understand about coaching that actually I think makes people really uncomfortable sometimes when I talk about it, which is that coaching believes in what you already know and have. And the belief that you have so much more knowing and capacity and ability and information even than you have access to at this moment in time. And the goal of coaching is to increase your access to those things that are already inside of you. And there is so much of it. And in fundraising, I see all the time this like, no, 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 but like you're the expert. And I'm like, in what? (laughs) (laughs) Like they know so much more than they think they do. They know the right pathway forward. They know what the next step is. They know what the priority is. They know how to handle a situation. They do. They just, in their mind, it has been overcomplicated. And this part of that is the perfectionism. Part of that is the self-doubt. Part of that is what you keep talking about, which is searching for that one right answer. Part of it is maybe needing validation that, yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I find myself when I switch between coach and consultant in my one-on-one work, I'll sort of jump out of coach mode. And I just will say like, as a fundraiser, I want to validate this idea. Like, so you have a thought partner here. This is great. And it's just amazing to me. We've created this whole system of self-doubt that 
is making so many people feel like they don't have the capabilities that they have. Absolutely agree that I think it's within community we get to bring that out and support each other. I learn something in every coaching session. I'm learning with my clients and they're bringing their experiences and mapping out where they want to go as leaders and beautiful insights get uncovered every session. And I'm learning and I'm benefiting by being in that human to human connection. And the notion of of expert, yeah, there's different expertise. I bring tools and such, but it is valuing each other. And I think it's a different way of doing work, like of seeing people as valuable with their experiences and not putting that hierarchy of what you know. And yes, there's different areas, like knowledge bases. And to even acknowledge that, like, I don't have a tech background, so I'm not going to know something. You're going to want to get a thought partner or learn something from someone that does know that, but that doesn't invalidate your experiences and the knowledge within you and the, the way that you can take action. Yeah, I love that. And that actually brings up something that I sort of want to leave people with, which is like, the question you were encouraging people to ask, which is what do you need and sort of what are you looking for? And why is this data important to you in the first place, right? Sort of starting with the why in a lot of ways. I think there are probably people, the thing you you just said made me think that there are probably some people that feel like I'm not a tech expert, so I don't know how to come up with those. And I just actually want to really encourage people that like, this is not about like the tech, it's about you. And so actually what you need and your reason for using the tech and how the tech can be useful to you and what's the purpose of it in the first place, actually not being a tech person is going to give you some of the most valuable information if you start to ask those questions, because then the why is not to have clean data. That is not the why. never was, right? Right. (laughs) Maybe we should have started there. It never was. (laughs) I know. I really appreciate what you said because I think our perfectionism like drops us into like the how before the why. And then we kind of can get stuck in the how and we can get so perfectionisty around the how because now I have to do this thing and I have to make it perfect. And we really lose like, why are we even doing this in the first place? So I really appreciate that like reorientation. Is there any question that I haven't asked you that you wish I had asked you? I just want to encourage all of your listeners that you're amazing, that they're amazing for being in this work. And I know the to-do lists and the ideas are endless and we can get lost sometimes in the production of doing more. And when you're taking care of yourself and filling yourself up with joy, I have these little things called delight dates, like scheduling in a delight date. And I, I got it from the artist way. And she encourages people to do these art dates where you just go and you enjoy art in some way, whether it's a craft or taking photos or whatever. And I say just delight dates where you're going and you are not producing you are not doing things necessarily for the organization, that you truly are just energized by the beauty in the world through your senses. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just getting an ice cream for yourself or something like that, but where you're really present in this. It's not to anesthetize icky behavior, like icky feelings. Sometimes we do things that we like, we need to anest- like not feel overwhelmed anymore. So we're like, okay, I'm just going to do this thing. But the delight day is where you bring your senses to it and you fill your cup up. <laughs> with that joy and that we can bring that into our work and not be so focused on the production because we need that balance and we need more joy 
It's an incredibly powerful energy that we can bring to this work that is so important in the world. So keep bringing the joy into the world and making sure that you're filling yourself up with joy. It's my message to your audience. I love all of that. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing that with everyone. So thank you so much. Thank you for this conversation. Um, Where would you like people to go to find you, to learn about working with you? What's the best next steps for folks? I do an hour discovery call of just saying, like, my program is the Leadership Atlas. We kind of map out, like, what it is that you're looking to address in your leadership. And they can find me at soniaperez.com. And you can book a discovery call and we can just chat and see where is it that you're wanting to go? What changes do you want to embody in your leadership so that you can show up for your mission and for your life in a way that feels really nurturing and sustainable. And I'm on Instagram at the Sonia Perez and LinkedIn too. So come follow me, come connect, come be filled because I just appreciate all the work that change agents are doing in the world. Amazing. Thank you. And I will make sure all of the links are below as well. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me and let's continue and be filled with joy. All right. Wow. I appreciated this episode and this conversation so much and learned a tremendous amount myself. So here are a few of the top things that I'm thinking about. Number one, Define what is enough when it comes to data management and data hygiene. I think one of the biggest issues here is that we don't have a definition or an understanding or even a goal around clean data. And so we just keep pursuing perfectionism. Number two, shift your thinking about data and understand its importance in connecting with donors. The data only matters in terms of how it's empowering and enabling you. And so you want to shift your thinking away from the data being important by itself and the clean data being the end goal to how is this data serving you or holding you back. Number three, It's time to process our thoughts and beliefs about data in general and identify any negative energy or resistance around it so that we can address that directly. Number four, frame data management tasks within the bigger picture to make them feel less daunting. This is a little bit related to what I was saying before in terms of data not being the end goal. And lastly, number five, Be aware of your self-talk when completing tasks and try to stay positive and encouraging and have your own back. Because if you speak to yourself negatively about data every time you're interacting with it, you are never going to start to want to work with your data more intimately. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Sonia and our amazing sponsors, Keela. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week.
inside Power Partners, there is only one tool I recommend for finding aligned donors, and it's probably not what you'd expect. It's LinkedIn. And now I just learned that you can cultivate donor relationships with LinkedIn Sales Navigator Core with a 75% discount for nonprofits. You get advanced search, in-mail, and more. I wish this was around when I was an ED. Visit MalloryErickson.com backslash percent now to learn more. That's MalloryErickson.com backslash percent. Thank you.